It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you yes, in the game. The draft is in the books. Wembley's being bought. We've got lots to talk about on today's show. We're going to hear from around the NFL's Graham Rosenthal. We're going to hear from Simon Clancy as well. It's a kind of mishmash jigsaw puzzle of a show. Yes. It'll be fun. It's the Gridiron Show. And welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. Yes, you in the game. You out there, you can get in the game and watch your new draft picks. I'm going to chase up Ben today and find out where we are on the pricing for tickets for our two tours because it's got to be close now. It's got to be. The, 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 the pricing announcement or how close the two prices are? No, how close it is to we can announce the tour. Because we've got to make sure that it is affordable for people, that it crams in as much football as possible, that we go to great cities. And all in all, it's going to be a good, fun, rollicking time. Can I just say? Oh, I'm waiting for you to say. The two options are ridiculous. And two great cities. Well, two sets of great cities. Great cities. Great cities. Great cities. I'm excited for whatever it may be. You... You... (laughs) <laughs> Did you hear that on the mic? Yes. <laughs> a little pump. <laughs> I heard it earlier and I thought, no, he's not doing that. I'm really sorry. You are doing that. I'm really sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, I just had a really spicy jerk ch- chicken <laughs> soup, and I think it's just repeating on dis- me already. You are dis- Can I also ask, does my mic sound fine? Because the headphones in here are an absolute mess. So Mate, I don't... You, you sound fine. You sounded especially fine singing that little song that's at the top of the the show. <laughs> Girls, just... goodbye. <laughs> don't do it again. How do I? Listen, what are you doing? To make the scene. Uh, coming up on the show, Greg Rosenthal on this weekend's draft. Some of his favourite storylines. Simon Clancy with some of his picks for the best players. And we talk Shaquem Griffin with him. Me and Ollie give our opinions on uh, the Wembley situation. All of this was recorded on TalkSport because we've had absolutely manic weekends yep. and haven't had time to record a full podcast None of you are listening to us at three in the morning anyway, so we're going to combine it all into one. But there are teams we've not managed to address yet, and I think we'll do that as we go on through the off-season. But Ollie, of the teams we haven't talked about so much, is there anyone you wanted to highlight as having a particularly good draft? Uh, well, I thought it's not necessarily good. I, it's difficult to say who had good drafts, who didn't, because half of these guys will end up getting cut. I liked... The Chargers pick of Derwin James oh, at 17. I love the Chargers pick. We talked about that in the first round show a little bit, but that Chargers defense yeah. now, wow, bang, 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 wow. Really, really nice. Um, I thought it, it was good that the Jags managed to get 
uh, a wide receiver and then a quarterback to come in and let's see what, what uh, is it Tom Lee would see what he does we get, we gave the Giants a bit of stick for taking the running back early but well, I'm with Greg value, Rosenthal get, getting the value of Will Hernandez in the second round uh, managing to pick up Carl Loletta later in the drive as dra- draft as well Lo- <laughs> oh no don't do that to me Loletta later Carl Loletta um, who we really liked as being possibly who the Patriots should go for that's Carl Loletta is a, is a guy who could fit in really well at the Giants and and if you're not going to take a guy high we could end up with a very similar situation to a few years ago where I said the Cowboys should take a quarterback high because when you're picking at three or four you you need to know that it's going to be a rare opportunity for a generally good team to pick that high they didn't they took Zeke Elliott and then they got Dak Prescott later on now what all or nothing which is out now and is I've watched the first couple it's absolutely brilliant but why have you watched the first what it doesn't highlight it came out on Friday what it didn't okay. highlight is it showed that the Cowboys tried to trade up to get Paxton Lynch. What it didn't mention was the oh. fact that they tried to get Johnny Manziel, that they tried to trade up to get Connor Cook as well, and basically they fluked their way to getting Dak Prescott. Yeah, but we, all, we knew that already, didn't we? Yeah, but I don't think they highlighted it enough on All or Nothing. They kind of sold been it a little bit. You've been highlighting that a for, lot. For about four years now, Yeah, <laughs> even though they only drafted him two years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I didn't like what the Cowboys did in bringing in Tavon Austin and getting rid of Ryan Switzer. We talk about that a bit with Greg Rosenthal. I liked what the Ravens did after the first round. Um, well, I like what they did right at the end of the first round. We, we talked about that on the first round podcast. I know, but... You've got to remember this, Ollie. Come on. Just because you can be bothered to get up and do it doesn't mean... That's, that's out of order, man. <laughs> that is out... You're out of order. I love you. I'm not sure you do. Buddy, we've had a great show this yeah, morning. Yeah, we have, we have. Yeah. It's been good fun. Yeah. Um, but I really like that they went out and got a second tight end and actually maybe a better pass-catching tight end than they got in the first round. Uh, I liked what you, you guys did. I like getting Josh Jackson in the second round. What's the first... Scheme fit. Sorry, it's, it's the second year in a row that we've gone double cornerback... One and two, but I like both. I like what we did. It seems to be that we only seem to sign players with alliterative names, apart from J.R. Alexander. Um, I'm. We'll leave it to Simon Clancy to run through the rest in a little while because he really does comprehensively go through the teams he likes. Did and the you players talk about from Philly them. and uh, the the Jordan Mylata? Uh, we didn't talk about that. No, uh, I did. Well, I did see old. Uh, handsome Hank Henry Hodgson uh, doing an Instagram story with him from the draft, like following did. his whole story, and he seems like a very genuine, very lovely man. Have you seen any of his film, his rugby rugby league film? He's a monster. He's huge. Three monster, monster, monster. Three hundred. What is that from? <laughs> uh, the Far Show. Monster, monster, monster. I think it's the Far Show. It's the monster munch. Was it the Monster Munch? No. Was it an advert? No. Monster. Anyway, to six foot eight, three hundred and forty-six pounds, very which, uh, very little of which is body fat. He's huge. His arms, <laughs> get this right. I'm getting it. Thirty-five and a half inches. Ooh. I don't know whether that's length or that's like your that's, round. That, that's like, but that's like a waist. Almost your waist, yeah. No, no, no. It's more than my waist. My waist no, is thirty-one. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true anymore, mate. It is true. You sure? Don't be like that. Since you got back from the Super Bowl, buddy. Let yourself go a little bit, haven't you? No. <laughs> no, I have. That's the problem. I, I was so good before the Super Bowl. Why are you being like this? I don't know why. Because <laughs> it's 4.30 in the morning and I'm feeling antagonistic. Yeah, that's uh, really antagonistic. Uh, are we not going to hear from the big guy that you oh, yeah. to? Oh, yeah. 
Blimey! We're also going to hear from Calais Campbell in this show. <laughs> How did I forget Calais? He's a lovely man. I even shouted it in the opener. I went Calais. I oh, did you? I didn't. I didn't. That's. You were I was busy trying busy to figure fighting. out. I was trying to figure out. What <laughs> you, were, you were too busy <laughs> trying not to follow through. That's exactly what you were doing. Oh, screw you. Uh, yeah, Calais Campbell. We talked to him about the draft. We talked to him about his draft experience. What his advice would be, and we get him to do a WWE promo as well. If you've not seen that, uh, put the video of it out on my Twitter as filmed by John Jackson uh, at Will Gav. It's uh, it's funny. That's I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. it. Yeah, it was. It good. was good fun. Was good. He's a big guy. Makes you look little. Should we get into it? We're who, in. We're who in. do you want to hear first? Uh, I think Clancy. Clancy first. Yeah. Then a bit of Greggy. Yeah. Then a bit of Clayus. Yeah. Then a bit of Ollie and Willie at the end. Cool. Right. Simon Clancy, we started off by talking about the joy, whether or not he'd had a fun three days, basically. It's weird because you kind of get really excited through the college football season. You just see these guys and you kind of fall in love with guys and you start studying them. And then the combine comes around and then there's that kind of massive wait, really, after the combine up until the draft. And it kind of gets, come on, it's got to get here, it's got to get here. And, you know, the excitement sort of dissipates. Not dissipates, that's, that, that's unfair. But, you know, it's sort of... You know, analysis by paralysis, I suppose. You've you've thought through so much. Um, and then, you know, when the weekend finally gets here, it's great just to, you know, you go through it all and the the picks go through and there's the excitement, as as we all know, especially as how it played out on the first night with with Baker Mayfield and the Browns keeping everything close to their chest. So, you know, it was a terrific sort of first round. So, yeah, no, it's been a great weekend. And there's loads for us to kind of get into and cover. And on the, the players' angle and, and what it means to the players, we're going to be hearing from Calais Campbell, defensive end of the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I caught up with him in London uh, yesterday and, and, yeah, asked him about his draft story and, and how it came about and how what it was like when he took the call, etc. So uh, that's coming up shortly. But... Let's go back to to day one and back to the quarterback situation. We'll get some of the headlines, some of your favourite drafts, worst, worst drafts, etc. But the big thing is four quarterbacks taken in the top ten, five in the first round. And in the build-up, all the speculation was who liked who, who was going where. Did anything that happened in those first ten picks or through that first round really shock you? Yeah, I think so. Because, was, you know, you, you look at it and you look at how the NFL works. And, you know, obviously it's a quarterback's league because that's why you know, four, four QBs were in the top 10. But everything, certainly, you know, this time last year, everything pointed to Sam Darnold of USC being the number one pick. The the, the height, weight, talent, uh, triumvirate that he has would, you know, certainly pointed to him being the, the top guy. Then you have this kid, this kind of upstart kid, Baker Mayfield, who, you know, transferred from Texas Tech, went to Oklahoma, had a terrific year two years ago, came back last year, won the Heisman. But, you know, six foot and people say he can't be, he can't be. And then he wins the Heisman and then you think, you look at what he does, his body of work and the accuracy and the, the leadership and he's just got something. Uh, you know, and you look back at the uh, what uh, what John Dorsey, the new general manager of the Browns, had done when he was unemployed. So sacked by the Kansas City Chiefs, was unemployed until the Browns picked him up. And he talked about the fact that he'd gone to see Baker Mayfield play six times during the season last year. Then Scott McLuhan, former general manager of the of the Washington Redskins before he left uh, about a year ago, McLuhan said in an interview, again, when he was not working, that Baker Mayfield was clearly the best quarterback in college football. And he sort of began to, began to see in the last sort of 48, 72 hours ahead of the draft that maybe, just maybe, the, the Baker Mayfield train was beginning to pick up speed. And, you know, uh, uh, as information started to sort of seep out, you just wondered whether or not actually the Browns would, would veer away from th- this kind of, th- this sort of chiselled archetype of quarterback that you, you'd expect to see at the top of the draft and to this kind of 
slightly different, slightly chippy uh, former walk-on. So you know, wasn't um, wasn't recruited by major universities in in Mayfield. But like I said, he just has something, and, and then it was there. It was Roger Goodell stepped to the podium just after one a.m. on on Friday morning and announced that Baker was the was the pick. And I think it sort of sent shockwaves through the league a little bit because it was unexpected. Because you kind of feel like Darnold and Josh Rosen and to a lesser extent Josh Allen that they are the the stereo the the prototypes of of what you'd expect. So, you know, John Dorsey certainly laid it all out on the table and fingers crossed for, for the Browns that they've got the quarterback that they've finally been looking for probably since Bernie Kosar back in the, <laughs> back in the, you know, 1980s with that, with that great Browns team, the dog pound and one for the kids. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> uh, on the, on the point of, uh, of the chippiness and there is a bit of an ego, but it, I think I like that in a major sportsman oh, anyway, it, yeah. but, there was also an incident when we came down to the Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals moved up to the 10 spot to take Josh Rosen. Uh, and I really like Josh Rosen. And there's been a lot of talk about how his personality will affect his draft stock because he is outspoken, because he does have interests outside of football in politics. And he, yeah, and he's actually an interesting human being, which maybe they don't like. But I did love his first press conference. He essentially came out and went, well, there were nine mistakes made before I was drafted. So... Absolutely, and that, that, that's what you love. I mean, that's what you love to hear. If I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, I'm fired up, and you only have to see Josh Rosen's face when he was interviewed by Susie Colber and by Deion Sanders on stage. He looked irked by what had happened. And, you know, I, I hark back to when Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, and uh, and it came down to Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith and whether or not Smith would go first to the 49ers and, and the Miami Dolphins had the second pick. Would, would the, the loser, as it were, go second, or, or what would happen? And, and Rodgers wasn't taken first as we now know Smith went to the 49ers and there was a sort of an air about Aaron Rodgers a, a Californian kid like Josh Rosen uh, a, a kind of a I suppose a, a 2000s version of a millennial you know somebody with outside interests and intelligence and questioning decisions but you know not in a not in an arrogant way but just in fight the, the search for information and and Rogers was asked in the in the green room whether or not he felt sad that the 49ers hadn't drafted him and he smiled and he said you know what I feel sad for the 49ers that they didn't draft me. Uh, and, you know, history has shown exactly what's happened. He's gone on to be probably the greatest quarterback of all time, won a Super Bowl with the Packers, um, and, and one of the biggest stars in American sports. So I just wonder whether or not Rosen will have the same impact because he's that kind of player. He does have something special about him, and he's certainly the most pro-ready of the quarterbacks that came out of the draft this year. Um, let's talk about, I mean, we could be here for absolutely hours talking about all the different teams, and I'm sure people would want to hear exactly what you and I think of, of their individual teams draft. But is there anyone who, what they've managed to do over the three days total, who's really caught your eye, who you've been really impressed with what they've done? Yeah, I'd say there's five teams. I think it's you know it's very difficult to judge a draft on the on you know it's you, you oh, see draft these... grades are one of the worst things oh, ever. No. <laughs> no, they're ludicrous. They're ludicrous. I mean, realistically, you can't and you shouldn't really judge a draft until. Well, uh, I mean, probably five ten years ago, you'd say three years. The way that you know kids get in the game quicker these days, I would say probably two seasons you need to be able to judge it. So it's very harsh to sit here and go, yes, this this team has, you know, this team has had an A-plus draft and this team has had a D-minus draft. But there, there are five teams for me. The Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns, the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the, the Bengals drafted Billy Price, the center from Ohio State, came back with Jesse Bates, a terrific safety Sam Hubbard, defensive end from Ohio State. Malik Jefferson, the linebacker from Texas. Mark Walton's a really interesting guy. Running back from Miami. Probably the best pass-protecting running back in the draft. Got injured last season, but has real talent. 
Um, and then uh, Andrew Brown, a, a defensive tackle slash defensive end from, from Virginia. So the Bengals, I thought, had a terrific draft. You look at the Browns, obviously they had a lot of picks, but I think they made them they made them work. John Dorsey, Scott McClure, and Hugh Jackson, and then that kind of all-star front office with Elliot Wolf, who came over from the Green Bay Packers, and Alonzo Highsmith, the great former University of Miami and Houston Oilers running back who now works for them. You know, Baker Mayfield that came back with a fourth pick with Denzel Ward. Austin Corbett, the, the tackle slash guard for Nevada. Nick Chubb, the ter- tremendous running back who shared time with Sony Michelle at Georgia. Chad Thomas of Miami and Jannard Avery. The, you know, just a, a solid pick for the a solid draft for the Browns. Denver again. I think the Denver Broncos didn't have a very good season last year. They're actually, you know, you could end up seeing them picking in the late twenties next season if you know if all goes well. Bringing Case Keenum, but they had Bradley Chubb fall to them at six. Cortland Sutton, that big six foot three wide receiver, one here the one handed catches from SMU. Royce Freeman of Oregon, Isaac Yadam, a defensive back who, who did very well at the Senior Bowl. And from Boston College, Josie Jewell, a really solid two-down linebacker from Iowa. Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State, another wide receiver who did very well at the Senior Bowl. And then Troy Fumagalli. And we talk, you know, people talk and we'll talk, I'm sure, about Shaquem Griffin, the the phenomenal phenomenal one-handed linebacker from 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 um, from Central Florida. Troy Fumagalli is the the man with 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 only four fingers, which is a uh, you know as somebody who makes their their trade catching the ball. It will be an interesting experiment for him. But you know he's a he's a solid player as well. The Giants had the second pick overall, passed on a quarterback, drafted Saquon Barkley, probably the best player in the draft. Came back with Will Hernandez and Lorenzo Carter of Georgia, who fell a little bit because of some. Uh, questions around a neck injury, B.J. Hill, a defensive tackle, and then a very interesting pick, Kyle Lauletta, who was probably the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl, a kid from Richmond. He'll remind you a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of footwork, intelligence, pocket movement. Doesn't have a great arm, but you build a system around Kyle Lauletta, and you know all of a sudden you look at the Giants, and the Eli Manning is obviously there, but he's 37, and talk of replacing him in a couple of down years. You've got Davis Webb from Cal, who they drafted in the third third round last year, and then all of a sudden you throw Lauletta into the mix as well, and there's quite an interesting you know situation brewing for the Giants down the line with these two kids who could really push each other on to be the potential replacement for um for Manning. And then the Buccaneers, Vita Vea in the first round, they traded traded down and got Vea. Um Ronald Jones, really good running back who reminds you of Melvin Gordon uh from 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 the LA Chargers, Jones from USC. MJ Stewart from North Carolina, really good defensive back, a, a pure corner in Carlton Davis from Auburn. Uh, Alex Capper uh, uh, from from Little Humboldt State, uh, <laughs> but Capper is the guy as Mike Mayock beautifully termed. He's he's the bouncer. He's going to throw you out the club. You watch some of Alex Capper's tape. I mean, he is abusing human beings. I mean, properly abusing human beings. They're picking up grown men and just chucking them around. And obviously, you know, Humboldt State is a much lower level. We're not talking Florida State here. We're talking a much lower level. But this kid is an absolute. You know, he's a he's a road grader. And then you know, two two good picks later on. Jordan Whitehead, a safety from Pittsburgh. And Jack Sishi, a, a good linebacker from Wisconsin, who tore his ACL during the season last year, and but is you know is making the slow progress back. Worked out of the pro day, the, the Badgers pro day. I think they're, they're the five teams I thought that did really well. And like like we said, it's hard to judge. It's very difficult to say. You know, Team A and Team B did brilliantly, but Team C and Team D did did really poorly. You, 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 yeah, the proof of the pudding will literally be in the in the playing, as it as it were. Um, I, I a lot of names to process there, but I'm sure those. Yeah, but, sure. But, no, no, that's fine. A lot. I think the members of those five teams will be very fans. Of those five teams will be very excited, and yeah, you know, obviously the Cleveland Browns are definitely going to the playoffs now after an 0 16 season. Well, but you know, I think the Browns, the Browns, I think are a lot closer than people imagine. I mean, if if even a few of these players, that's they they've got a they've got a 
I don't want to say playoff ready defense, but they are close to playoff ready defense already. If they can just add some of the, you know, Josh Gordon gets a full season behind him, Jarvis Landry, you know, Nick Chubb could be a 16 game starter, a thousand yard running back. Tyrell Taylor's a decent quarterback. They're, they're, David and Joku, the tight end. There's some talent there. There really is some talent there. And they could, if, they, if it comes together, it's, it's down to coaching now. They've got the players. Now can Hugh Jackson coach them? Uh, what about, I mean, there's a few, uh, the draft always has brilliant stories coming in and out of it. And we saw, I mean, on the first night alone, if you look away from the players, we saw uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers um, having uh, Ryan Shazier, their linebacker, who yeah, was involved in, in a challenge this year where, he lost feeling in the bottom half of his body and, and there was some talk about whether he'd ever walk again, walking out to make their pick for them. We did kind of speculate today, chatted to Calais Campbell about it when we were at that Jags event that, you know, what happens if the Steelers wanted to trade out of the first round because someone comes up and makes a, a huge big offer to them at 28. It kind of gets a little bit awkward. But when it comes to the on the field stuff, um, you mentioned Shaquem Griffin. It couldn't have ended up more perfect that he becomes the first one-handed player to be drafted by an NFL team, and it ends up being Seattle, where he will be playing on defence alongside his twin brother, Shaquille. Absolutely. It's an incredible story. And for people that don't know, uh, Shaquille, born sort of four minutes after his brother, Shaquille, um, uh, Shaquille essentially had something called amniotic band syndrome, where uh, the amniotic band uh, from his mother's womb was wrapped around his his hand, his left hand, um, and made it incredibly sore. And as a four-year-old, his mother walked into the kitchen, and there he was, literally, literally trying to cut off his own hand because the pain was so much. They took him to hospital. The, the next day, the, the hand was amputated. Um, but it's never held him back. He always played. Uh, he always played uh, at a good level at high school, despite people saying he wasn't a- he wasn't able to play. We can't have this we can't have this guy playing this, and he kept proving people wrong, proving people wrong. And then his brother got a, got uh, recruited by a number of teams, Alabama. Uh, you know, they're really good college football teams, but uh, he would only go to a team that that took Shaquem as well. But Shaquem was no was no mug. He was a really really solid player. They played together at uh, Central Florida. Shaquille left the NFL a year ago, went to the Seattle Seahawks, was a third-round pick, ended up starting opposite Richard Sherman last year. And then here you've got Shaquille, who just had a tremendous year, I mean, truly a tremendous year, at linebacker, um, and ends up going today to the to, to the team where his brother plays. There is a, just an incredible symmetry about it. and it's a, you know, it's a great story. They're a wonderful family. And you know, you, I don't think anybody who's seen him play and who knows his story doesn't think that the, at the very worst he will be an elite special teams player in the NFL but nothing would surprise me he would you know he's a great blitzer he's incredibly fast ran a 4-3-7 at the combine um, I he, think he bench be, pressed 225 pounds 20 times, 20 times. With, a, with a prosthetic hand I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. And as he, as he has always repeated, and we spoke to him for Gridiron Magazine, he's a great guy, but he, um, as he said, you know, the more that people keep telling me I can't do something, I'm going to prove them wrong. And he's consistently, consistently, consistently done. Now, th- there are some obvious concerns. You know, can he catch the ball with one hand? Well, he had more interceptions last year than Denzel Ward uh, of Ohio State, who went fourth overall to Cleveland. So he had three, Denzel Ward had two. Can he get off blocks? Because, you know, uh, a lot of American football is about, you know, you, you engage with with another player who will try and use their ha- use his hands to manipulate you away from the ball carrier. Can he use the one hand and the, the, the stump that he has as a left hand to disengage, I remove himself from being blocked by another? That, that will be a, a big question. But he did it consistently, 
at, the, at, a, at a high level of college football. You watch against Auburn, you know, who at the time were number one in the nation. He, uh, you know, he did a terrific job of doing that and going up against guys like Braden Smith, you know, really solid SEC offensive linemen. I, I don't doubt that he will become a very solid player. And you look at the Seattle Seahawks, and, and I know a number of teams were talking about him moving back from linebacker to play safety. He could easily be the long-term replacement for Cam Chancellor, the, right. the, the wonderful all-pro strong safety, because he's got look, he's got sideline to sideline speed. He's got a nose for the ball. He's a playmaker. He can blitz off the edge. He can play in the box, but he, he's also got the speed to play as a deep safety. Can you imagine him and Earl Thomas back there? I mean, if Earl Thomas stays, which it looks like he will do now, stays in Seattle, there's obviously question marks about Cam Chancellor and that neck injury. There's a chance that you could see Shaquille Griffin starting at, uh, at left cornerback for the Seahawks with his with his identical twin brother playing strong safety, replacing one of the great strong safeties of the last ten years in Cam Chancellor. I don't I don't see that that can't happen. Our chat with uh, Simon Clancy, always good fun, and now time for around the NFL's Greg Rosenthal. And I started off by joking with him that he was our real superstar guest this week. I, I don't think that's true. I think Calais Campbell is, is a nice gap for you guys. I feel like he's one of your buddies at this point. Oh, I, he very much is. Only because, and Ollie would have hated this had he been there. Well, no, he wouldn't. He would have loved it because he could have wound me up. He went, oh, yeah, man, I, re- I remember you. You interviewed me when we came over in November. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Was he suddenly from Reading? Yeah, I have no idea where he's <laughs> what from. What was that accent? I started an accent, realized how bad it sounded, and then <laughs> changed my mind. Yeah, he's got a very, he's got a, the voice you would expect out of a six foot eight, 300 pound defensive lineman. I, I, of all the like big people in the NFL, I feel like Calais Campbell might just be the biggest and most intimidating. That's why I like interviewing these people because it makes me feel like a smaller man. <laughs> it makes me, it makes you <laughs> feel like the size of me and Greg to normal people. To me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Greg, uh, we've just we're, we're going to be kind of breaking down various bits of the draft and some of the news outside of it as well from from this weekend over this hour. But just uh, as a kind of first point of call, uh, it's tradition at this point in the weekend to start putting out winners and losers articles and and pointing fingers and deciding exactly how this draft class is going to pan, pan out before any of them have played a single down of football. But from your uh, impression over the weekend, who in particular were you were you impressed with the business that they did? Well, I think you have to start with Arizona because the Jets and the Browns knew they were going to get a franchise quarterback going into the weekend. We expected that, and we'll find out if they chose the right one. The Cardinals didn't. And for them to get Josh Rosen, who I think is the best quarterback in this class, so he ends up getting taken fourth out of the rookie quarterbacks. For them to get him at pick number 10, barely give up anything to move up from 15 to 10, that's the type of combination of fortune and I think good good scouting and ultimately, um, you know, just a great pick that I think could change their franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. Because I, I truly believe, it, even if he doesn't have the highest ceiling of all these quarterbacks, he's the one that I am most confident is going to be solid, that he's still going to be playing 10 years from now as a starter for some team, whether he's one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the league or whether he's just, you know, a top 10, top 12 type of guy. We'll see. But that, that to me, has to feel like a weight off their shoulders because you can go years and years without being able to find a guy like that for that cheap. And here's the thing, I know we're probably more reticent to, to point the loser finger around, but the team they traded with, the Oakland Raiders... Uh, 
There is, uh, you know, Matt Sherry, the editor of Gridiron, and he is absolutely 100% convinced that John Gruden is going to bring good times back to the Bay Area and then and then on to Las Vegas as well. But I've been a bit baffled by their moves this offseason. Yeah, I have too. Uh, their trades out and the offense, you know, they took some offensive linemen, including in the first round, that it will really take their offensive line coach, Tom Cable, a while to develop. And this is a guy who really struggled in Seattle, the, the coach that is, to do such a thing. They took really high risk, high reward guys. They gave up a third round pick for Martavis Bryant, who has only one year left in his contract. Uh, they really seem to be swinging for the fences, uh, going kind of counter to what a lot of teams are doing. Uh, and it'll be interesting. We, if Gruden can still coach offense, it won't matter because he'll know how to handle Derek Carr and it'll be good enough. But the, the personnel moves, it really makes you wonder because it's clearly Gruden the, is the one making the decisions, not their general manager. I thought it was quite interesting. My team, the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutenkunst, uh, going, uh, trading back, Firstly, with the Saints to, to get a, a first rounder for next year, and then going back into it or going forward and picking the guy that they everyone thought they were going to pick anyway in Jair Alexander. So, and then getting a bit of value in the second round with uh, with Josh Jackson. I just thought it was some some uh, good good G- GMing uh, from from the new GM. Some at, moving uh, and shaking. Yeah, which we don't always see from the Packers. Yeah, we don't normally see that. Yeah, Gutekunst, you know, he's a lot more exciting than uh, than Ted Thompson. You're right. Like, it's so hard to evaluate winners and losers in terms of knowing how these players are going to pan out. But when you look at what the Packers did in terms of playing the board, getting an extra first-round pick, and then taking two guys who fit what their new defensive coordinator, Mike Patton, likes to do, and a guy in the second round in Jackson, who a lot of people thought was a, a consideration for them in the first round, and Mike Patton has a great history knowing what to do with defensive players in the secondary. So that's that's kind of the important part of this, is you can't just pick the players. You have to know how to develop them, and I think they had a great marriage of that and value and, and something to get excited about that they have an extra first-round pick for a year from now. Uh, and, of course, they won the best name in the draft game as well oh. by taking wide receiver Equinemius St. Brown, or full name... Mm-hmm. Equinemius Tristan Imhotep J. St. Brown. What a name. He's de- he, they've done all right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, not much I, I, there's no analysis needed for that, Greg. I just wanted to put that out into the world. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, I like Some of the stories I always like around the draft are about the guys who slip a bit for, for what the various reasons might be. And John has got in touch, wanted to talk uh, about Washington. And a guy that they've taken in the second round, who we saw him at LSU, Darius Geis. And... Man, this guy is a, a powerful runner, can catch the ball as well, looks really exciting when, when you see him in person, but there were valid reasons for him falling to where he did. Yeah, he turned off a number of teams with a rocky pre-draft process where he came across, across as immature, according to Arian Rappaport, and got caught maybe in some lies and got... Uh, into a yelling match, according to Ian, with, with the Eagles when he met him. And, and maybe just a guy who you know needs to grow up, which is not surprising when you think about what we were like when we were 20 to 21 years old. Imagine if we had that sort of attention. When you watch him on the field, though, I mean, he reminds me of Marshawn Lynch. And almost as a prospect, 
he reminds me of, of Marshawn Lynch because Marshawn Lynch is a guy who people thought had some red flags because of his personality, and it kind of did take him a little while uh, to mature at the NFL level. He had some issues in Buffalo where he first started. So Washington got him late in the second round. I know for a fact they were considering taking him with the number 13 overall pick, and I think that's a great marriage of if you're at the end of the second round and it's a guy that you think is that good, then then you take a chance. Because late second-round picks, it's a, it's a crapshoot anyways. And this is a guy who plays with all the energy in the world. No one would ever question uh, his playing attitude because he gets after it. And you're right, he is a lot of fun to watch. I am. Um, I, yeah, I... I... I, I kind of I feel like uh, the fact that it was a, the Eagles he got into a slanging match with as well. After we saw some of the other stuff going on around the draft, some of the but uh, David Akers turning up the way he made oh, that, that particular pick. Uh, they were, I like I think the fact that it was an NFC East rival that he had that slanging match with. I don't think that'll go down badly with Washington fans necessarily. No, I think he's a bigger, he's more popular with the Redskins fans right off the bat because he did that. Uh, there's some some of the moves outside of the draft. The one team that I really don't understand what's going on at the moment is at Dallas. And I know Jason Witten wasn't a man who particularly contributed. He's, he's more there on the kind of legend status. But him leaving the team and, and announcing his retirement at this point of the year when you know this the draft etc is going on cutting des bryant so late after the original uh, after the original free agency opened trading for Tavon austin who i i haven't seen anything particularly worthwhile out of him while getting rid of a player like ryan switzer who has been an exciting sophomore player i it just some of these moves strike me as a little bit on the on the bizarre side yeah, the Cowboys were, I think, as surprised as anyone when Witten told them that he's planning to retire. He is now getting courted by two different uh, television networks, and basically it sounds like he got a great offer from ESPN to be their Monday night football analyst, something that he tried out for. I don't think he'd be retiring unless he basically got that job, and, and he knows you got to take it. Uh, and so... I don't think it really hurts the Cowboys. I think it's almost better off to move on from Des Bryant and Jason Witten together and move on into this new era with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. The problem is Dak Prescott just does not have a lot of weapons to throw to, so it's going to have to be all about the running game, all about the offensive line, and we need to see a little more creative uh, play calling because they didn't have that a year ago. Dak Prescott's good enough, I think, to carry them, but they need to figure out you know, plan A, B, and C, because they really do not have receiving threats right now. I am. Um, I, I think with Whitten retiring, Antonio Gates could be out of the league. We've also got Dwight Freeney, James Harrison, Joe Thomas all going this off season. And let's not forget about Ed Hockley and Dreff Triplett. Uh, I'll never it, forget it, those guys. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm gutted they're gone. <laughs> uh, said nobody ever. Uh, but it's going to be a nice, fun Hall of Fame class in five years' time. Yeah, that's a great call. It's got to make it harder to get into that into that particular class because Joe Thomas is a lock. And to me, I would put Freeney in there out of all those other guys uh, and maybe Witten has to wait a year or two. I'm sure Cowboys fans would get all worked up. But whenever you tell them that Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, and Rob Gronkowski, for that matter, are at a total other level of what Jason Witten was uh, at his peak, they, they get very upset. But you would be right, and everybody else would be right, because he isn't as good as those guys. 
It's fact. He had a great, unbelievable career. I'm not trying to to slag, as you would say, on him uh, <laughs> right now because of the because of the way he he lasted throughout his career. Like to be the second, third, fourth best tight end in the league. Uh, is nothing to be ashamed about uh, for about 10 straight years. It's pretty incredible. Finally, just to ask you, as as both fan and analyst, a team that are pretty heavily supported over here, it's fair to say, how are you uh, with the New England Patriots drafting? I loved the talent they got in the first round, but I know that your your colleague Chris Wessling wasn't so pleased with with some of the Belichickian moves over days two and three. No, I, I have no problem with Belichick doing what he normally does, which is trade picks from this year into next year. It's what we were just praising uh, Brian Gutekunst, the, the Packers general manager, for doing. Because the, the, the GMs that can be patient end up getting great value. I mean, the, the, the Patriots now have an extra second-round pick, an extra third-round pick. They, they still got three picks in the first three rounds of this year's draft. Uh, I like it. Their offensive line looks better. And they also used a lot of these picks to get veteran players, which I think has been uh, gets a little forgotten. They got Danny Shelton from the Browns, who's a nose tackle, who I think is going to help them. They got Trent Brown from the 49ers, who started uh, at right tackle for years and years. Uh, so they got some veterans with, with their picks that can contribute right away. And uh, just very quickly, Danny Etling, we saw him, the LSU quarterback, we saw him uh, when we went over to, to watch LSU last year. He's got a big arm, um, he was drafted by the Pats in the seventh round. It's not another Brady S kind of draft, is it? Or is it just a let's have a look at him and uh, and uh, see if he could put a bit of pressure on um, Brian Hoyer? Yeah, I think it's more. It could be another Brian Hoyer, a guy that they got as an undrafted player and turned into a very good backup for them, or a Matt Castle, a guy they took in the seventh round and turned into a very good backup and eventual starter. If you can get that kind of value. That's all you're hoping for. I mean, any any seventh round picks that ever end up starting games for you is a huge shocker and bonus. But if you can develop these guys, and the Patriots have been really good developing quarterbacks, including you know Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, just to be a backup, that's a valuable position. And and you never know, they're going to be looking for more quarterbacks down the line. But I guess they'll wait till next year to try to find a, a real top shelf one. Uh, Greg. Beautiful stuff, as always. Find Greg at Around the NFL on Twitter and on his own handle as well, at Greg Rosenthal. And uh, that podcast, three G's. they do brilliant work. And, yeah, three G's, most importantly. Triple G. Triple G, 60% G. Claire's Campbell, defensive end of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, welcome to London. I apologise that if you'd come last weekend, it was about 80 degrees, beautiful sunny skies, you wouldn't have known whether you were in Florida or London. <laughs> that would have been nice because it's a little cold out here, but having some fun. What are you guys out here doing today down on the South Bank? Going over some combine drills, uh, just uh, interacting with some fans, hanging out, and enjoying talking football. Yeah, so it's draft weekend, and obviously that's going to be the big focus at this time of year. What are your memories going second round to the Cardinals back 10 years ago now? What's the, kind of your memories of that day? Well, time flies. 10 years ago, uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, I was a little sad because I didn't go as high as I wanted to go. I, you know, I was projected to be like a first-round pick early on. And uh, I didn't do good in the combine, so I ended up costing myself and ended up going second round. But, you know, when that call came in and I got drafted, it was an incredible feeling. You know, uh, probably the best feeling I've experienced, or one of them, because uh, I've always wanted to play in the NFL since I was a six-year-old little kid. Uh, so I grew up working really hard, and when that call came and that dream came true, it was an incredible feeling, and I've been trying to, you know, uh, just continue and, and stay in the game as long as I could ever since. I think it always kind of blows British fans' minds, who are fans of other sports, football, rugby, the idea that 
you go into that day or that weekend having no idea where you could end up living by the end of it. You end up getting picked by Arizona. You not only get the desert, you get a uh, franchise that goes to the Super Bowl that year. You, you did all right for yourself. Yeah, it wasn't half bad because it could have been a lot of other places. You know, and I grew up in Denver, Colorado, which is a little cold, kind of like this. And then I uh, went to school University of Miami, very nice, warm weather. And I did not want to play in cold weather. So uh, Arizona drafting me was, like, incredible because I definitely didn't want to play anywhere where it was going to be freezing. I can tell you, we spoke to Greg Jennings, who went from being living in, in Florida, school in Florida, and then gets picked by Green Bay. And he's like, I get off the plane that first day, and I'm like, oh, what's happened? Yeah, that is a, that's a big a big worry. Everybody, every person getting drafted right now, they're, they're thinking about, you know, just the city they're going to be living in, and hopefully it's a nice one. Now, uh, first round, I think a lot of people might have expected the Jags to have gone for some weapons for Blake. You lost Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson this offseason, but... You go and you take a, a D-tackle, another bit of rotation on that line, some help for you guys, strength on strength, if you will. What did you make of the pick of Taven Bryan out of Florida? You can never have too many quality D-linemen, you know, because uh, we rotate so much. And if you could keep the same level of play with the second group or when the rotation is strong, you can really dominate games. And so uh, I think it was an incredible pickup watching his, his tape, you know, just the highlights. He, I mean, he's special. You know, he has a, a, a incredible first step, very physical. And I think, uh, you know, with some guidance, you know, hopefully we can get him playing at a very high level very soon. You know, uh, I think it's a great pickup. Because, I mean, it's underrated. You see what the Eagles did this year. And they essentially had eight guys who could play those four positions. And for me, that's why they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's incredible. You have a rotation where there's no drop-off. You can just rotate. It allows guys like me to be fresher because we can rotate more. And, uh, you know, and then just in the, later in the season, playing, you know, 16 games and going to the playoffs, you know, those games get kind of long and tiresome. So you can get a good rotation, you know, really gives you a chance to win a lot of games. And look, you look back to the AFC Championship game of last year and you think about that fourth quarter when you guys are up 10 points and the offense aren't able to get going, the run game's not getting going, so you guys are on the field more. You don't want to single out plays or anything, but you think... If you've got fresher guys on defense, if you've got more rotation, then maybe you get that one stop you guys need. Yeah, and we had a couple of guys, uh, you know, kind of get banged up, you know, and uh, so myself, I kind of got banged up and missed a little bit more time than I normally play. Uh, Unique and Gakwe missed some time, you know, and so then the guys that are out there, you know, they're out there playing full time, you know, and so it's nice to have quality guys, you know, that are going to be able to deliver in crunch time, and uh, hopefully uh, Brian can be one of those guys who can just comes up with big plays in crunch time. What's been the, the message from, I mean, someone like yourself as a locker room leader, but the coaching staff? Because I think some people put it down to naivety, the way that game went towards the end. And you, know, you yourself have been there, you've been to the Super Bowl, you've been in the playoffs, but there's a lot of guys under the age of 25 in that locker room. A lot of them never been to the playoffs before. So how do you pick those guys up after such a kind of difficult end to the season? Yeah, it's a process, you know. Uh, I mean, I want them to kind of feel that kind of burn, that pain the whole offseason so that they're training harder and more focused because when you get that close and, and you lose, you know, it should drive you to work a little harder, you know, because what you did last year was it was close, but it wasn't good enough, you know. So if you could do a little bit more, uh, go a little harder this offseason, it really can help us uh, going forward. But at the end of the day, we all start back at, at you know, at 0-0 zero, zero, and have an opportunity going forward to uh, to earn the right to be there again, you know, and it doesn't just happen you have to earn that right you know uh coming into training camp and really starts to really in OTAs what we're doing right now organizing team activities uh just building that bond and, and creating uh, just the strength you need to go out there and, and have a chance again what about for yourself because I was absolutely stunned genuinely I'm not just saying this because we stood next to each other and you're a lot bigger than me but 
last year your first All-Pro season. I was genuinely surprised by that. So you get All-Pro, you go to the AFC Championship. So what's your motivation going into this next season? Yeah, uh, I've been second-team All-Pro a few times, but that first-team All-Pro is it's, it's a very prestigious award because it's so hard to get. You have to really be uh, the best of the best, you know, and I've always been around there, but it felt good to get that first one. But my personal motivation is really just, uh, you know, as I'm going to my 11th year, you know, you only have so many years to play this game, and I really want to be a champion. Uh, win the, and win the Super Bowl, that's the ultimate goal. I've had dreams about that since I was a kid, and I really feel like this team is good enough to do that. So I'm going to just motivate the guys and continue to push everybody so that we're in the best position we can be in to have a, a real opportunity. Now, it's going to be tough. It's very, very hard to do, uh, you know, but I think we have the people in place, and so uh, there's no excuses. Got to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, final couple of things, and, and the first one, you had a great rookie season, and you've got a guy like Taven coming in, but a lot of uh, pass rushers, a lot of defensive linemen going in the first round. What would be your advice to a guy coming out of college, moving into the NFL? Just one piece of advice you could impart on how can, to make that transition as easy as possible for them. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, the process uh, really is it's hard because you go from you know uh, college where you know you're amateur and you're you know school first you know and to to be in a professional and you get paid and you have to you know uh, act as a professional and i think the biggest thing though is is just the speed of the game and uh, how fast things change so if i had to give advice to any rookie it would be just to uh, you know, put your head down take away all the distractions and just learn as much as you can because uh, the game it definitely is a lot more of a mental game when you get to the, the next level and finally, any chance that we're going to get you in the locker room this year? Maybe not just getting the guys up and ready for it by giving them the usual speech and the usual rah-rah, but maybe see a little bit of the mayor, Calais, coming into it a little bit. Because, I mean, me and John uh, who, uh, from Virgin, we were at WrestleMania this year, and we were... Your promo work, honestly, when you finish in the NFL, the WWE should sign you up because I, I was getting Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I was getting, it was amazing. Yeah, I'll bring it out a little bit. You know, uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. Malik Jackson, Malik the Frick as we call him, you know, uh, he, he's a special guy, you know, and uh, so we get together, good things happen. You know, I think we're going to cause a lot of havoc, you know, uh, and, and really make, uh, make Duval happy. I know you've only just flown in and it's early in the morning and you're still time Can we get a little bit of the mayor, just what he'd say to the players coming in at OTAs? Oh, let me see. I got to get my mind right. Hold on, you know. Oh, man. Okay. You caught me off guard a little bit here. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) All right. Let me tell you something. Our team, we got a squad. Very good team. But when we focus in, we lock down, we could be anybody. You get in our way, you're going down. All the way down. No holes barred. I don't care who you are. Giants, week one, we're coming for you. Be ready. It wasn't as good. It wasn't no, no, oh, that, man, that was great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, Calais. That was amazing. We've just heard from me chatting with Calais Campbell. And, well, what you'll, one thing you'll notice I didn't ask him about, because we were the third or fourth people he spoke to after he spoke to Sky and ITV and a couple of other TV. I didn't ask him about Wembley because I'd heard his answers to other people. They were pretty kind of generic. Go on. Uh, you know, a franchise could be coming here someday. I think I'll be retired by the time they do. Uh, could okay. it be the Jags? I couldn't say. We've got a really great f- support in Jacksonville. Do you know what? I wanted to talk to a great football player about football. That's what He I was saying to talk the right about. things uh, from their point of view. And then, you know, it's, it's not going to... No line is going to come from that. He's not gonna, we're not going to move the needle with it. Whereas, uh, you know, getting him to do a wrestling promo was far more fun. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I forgot. 
you. Uh, let's. Uh, so right, what was your yeah, what was your impression of the of the Wembley news? Shard Khan looking to buy it for anywhere, depending on what you believe between six and eight hundred million pounds, up to a billion, with all the extra match day deals, etc. As well, what what's the impact from an NFL perspective of this? Uh, from a purely NFL perspective, I think it's the clearest indication of an owner wanting a franchise over here. Now. Since I, I first tweeted that out, I, I've, I've thought of it in a few different ways. Not necessarily that it's a franchise coming over here, but it's a home for eight regular season games to come over here uh, the, I, the as problem, an event. The problem with the problem with eight regular season games coming over to the UK when it's not one team it is from get a old, scheduling perspective. That's an absolute nightmare. Mm. Look how badly they've struggled with three or four games where they've had to announce weekends where the games will be on but not been able to tell you which way round they'll be, which made single ticket sales really difficult. The schedule is already a really tough thing to put together in the NFL mm. when you've got to consider every event from marathons to festivals to, you know, baseball seasons at the early parts of the season, not clashing. All the things you've got to consider, these requests and and. If you go to the MMQB, uh, fascinating pieces on there uh, the last two years from Peter King about how the schedule makers put the schedule together and how many tens of thousands of combinations of the schedule are produced by the supercomputer before they find one which is actually genuinely workable. So if you add in eight games over here into that, when it's not one one team... then it's very, very tough to put that together. I, you know, I think it's the clearest indication that he wants the Jags over here. I know that he's invested money in the area, but if you look at the money he's invested in Jacksonville, in the stadium, in the training facility, it's all money that can be recouped from. Like the training facility's got a concert, like outdoor concert facility as part of it, so they can recoup money there. It's development of downtown and shopping, which will still be there and available. I, st- I think that the way they do it is have a US base, have a training facility still there, have well, a US somewhere base. Somewhere like Jacksonville. <laughs> so be based, <laughs> yeah. yeah, between Jacksonville and London, yeah. but play their actual home games and, here. Uh, that's a, a great point. And I think that with Shad Khan's um, kind of business nows and you know he's a guy a, a pakistani immigrant who made it big made it really big he's not a fool and he's not going to have thought all of this through and think oh do you know what i'm just going to buy a stadium see what happens uh he's seen an opportunity jacksonville have a great history recent history there i what are they four and two or three and two playing in london so and they've won the last two or three anyway so it is a it is a stadium that has done up until this season was was far more a, a better place for them to play than their home stadium so from that perspective i think it's it's really interesting where it's going to dovetail with the tottenham stadium i don't know maybe that would be they are the biggest if we're doing a winners and losers <laughs> edition they are the biggest losers in this situation because the suggestion, this is the one suggestion I've seen from a lot of people. I think Shard Khan will basically have to bend over to the NFL. And if the Jags do move over here, if that happens in, say, 2022, and there's still five years left on the Tottenham Stadium deal at that point, they will have to play two of their home games at Tottenham. This idea 
that the NFL are going to schedule eight regular season games for a team here and then do two more games at Tottenham that aren't related to that team, which means that you are adding an extra 120,000 tickets to the overall season ticket demand, which leads to people who will only, like, people who are travelling from Manchester and Scotland and Newcastle, wherever, up in the north, and coming down for one game a year or two games a year, aren't necessarily going to pick to come and see Jags Colts. They're going to go and see Cowboys Raiders. They're going to go and see Bengals Washington. They're going to go and see that they are going to pick that single game, which takes away from the extra sales on top of the season tickets for those Jags games or whoever it is. And therefore that stadium's not full and it looks like the London experiment isn't working. If they go all in on bringing a franchise here, I would be absolutely stunned. I would put it genuinely a 1-50 to 50 against chance that they will schedule at least for the first three or four seasons any additional games there in addition well, to would, that home team's game. And it would work from an England football point of view that in and around the uh, the autumn internationals in October, November where England would be required, required to play some games at home you could play them at Wembley and have the Jags playing in Tottenham. Now, could they, could they just split it? Four, four in four, Jacksonville, yeah. four in London, something like that. That's something to potentially consider. We get half a franchise, so they do become our team, but we don't get a full season of home games. That's something to potentially consider, that they bring more than one home game over. And then they think about which teams from the West Coast they want to bring all the way to London <laughs> to do it. <laughs> nice. Get a nice competitive advantage out of yeah. it. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. That was Calais Campbell, defensive end of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I like their second-round pickup, DJ Chark, by the way. Oh, yeah, LSU's DJ Chark. We, I had a brief, very brief chat to him in the uh, in the locker room after their game that we went to against Arkansas. It was in the locker room. And he was, yeah, but, you know, in the little interview room next to the locker room well, where you get to interview the players. Well, that just felt a little bit convoluted. Well, you know, don't lie to people. I'm not lying to people. Well, you were. It was uh, maybe... Was it the locker room? At worst, a lie by omission. That's the worst it could have been. About a minute, at most. Sorry, I'm I'm faffing. I shouldn't be. Carry on. Um, Yeah, I really like the second-round pick, DJ Shark. I like the first-round pick, but I do think more weapons for Blake Bortles, more protection for Blake Bortles. They got a road-grading offensive lineman, I think, in the third round, who looked pretty good. Overall, they did okay. They did okay. Uh, uh, I... Do we want to give up? In, in, the problem is we could go through every team and try and grade them and try and think about it. Are we going to do that in the coming weeks? We'll, yeah. We'll do like a section. Yeah, I think we'll just go over. I think we'll, we'll start looking at the season and start looking forward to it. Should we do it next this time next week? Let's figure out. <laughs> this is our new slot. This is the way the show is going to be from now on. Yeah. Um, also, uh, with ESPN Player, we're going to be bringing out a new college podcast. Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, me and Ollie in no way involved. What? No, no, no. They will. They'll get us involved. Mm. We get them involved. That's not how it sounds. I don't. I mean, I have to be involved because I have to record it and upload it for no money. But other than that, oh yeah, you be involved then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, no, that's not true. It's going to be brilliant. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's got a really good reaction on our Twitter already at Gridiron. So um, yeah, look out for it. It'll be coming in the coming weeks. I, th- I think it might just be called the Gridiron College Podcast because Matt Sherry is a very literal man. 
He is really literal, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why, yeah. Matt Sherry is right literal. Right, we'll be hearing from Ben later this week. Touchdown Trips will be announcing the tour. Go to touchdowntrips.com to register your interest. You can pay a £100 deposit to guarantee your place on the tour right now. And it is fully refundable. Ollie Hunter, any final thoughts? Um... We're making podcasts to watch girls by. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.